All right, well, good morning to you here. Uh, we're glad to be with you, glad to be able to live stream, and um, good, to, good to be with you this morning. We got Ted in the back, and we've got Jared Lacey here with us, and uh, the rest of y'all are out on YouTube, and so uh, we're, we're glad that you're able to join us uh, this morning. I want to give you just a couple of announcements. It's going to be a different service this morning. We're not going to have our normal song service. Uh, we're going to do announcements. Uh, I'll pray, and then we'll go straight to the message, but... Uh, um, uh, for, for those who are out of state and you're wondering what's going on, uh, it's icy around here, and so we didn't have everybody come into the church uh, today, and so uh, we, we have more going on, uh, more folks on YouTube today. So that's, that's what's happening. Um, but with that, a uh, few things uh, announcement-wise. Um, one is a schedule change. Uh, we were planning to do kind of an all-church meeting uh, after the service this morning. Uh, instead, that has been pushed back a week, so we will do that over lunch uh, next Sunday on January 30th. And uh, the purpose of that meeting is to really talk about opportunities of service uh, for this coming year, uh, areas where we need some help. Um, we have a family and parenting conference coming up the first weekend of March. That's the 4th, 5th, and 6th. And so um, we'll, we'll be uh, kind of dividing up responsibilities for that. And then um, just, just other things about how we do ministry and, and uh, getting some feedback. But hope you'll be able to come out for that. This will be a really important meeting um, next Sunday. And then I um, want to let you know we're starting something new uh, called House to House Fellowship. And, and the first night of that is going to be, first evening of that is going to be February 6th. That's a Sunday. And so we're not going to have lunch at the church. We're not going to have an afternoon service that day. And instead, we're going to go over to somebody's house and have a, um, a meal and a time of fellowship together. And so uh, that's going to be at 5 p.m. on February 6th. And so you should have got uh, the weekly email with that information in there. And um, in there, there's actually a sign-up sheet uh, where you can put how many people are going, and uh, there are three different houses to choose from. You can pick your house and say, how many of you are going to that house? And uh, that will help our hosts. And, uh, but really hope you'll be able to come out for that. I really look forward to, to spending that time together. And uh, that's it in terms of announcements. We will be back together, uh, Lord willing, this Wednesday night for a prayer meeting and Patch the Pirate uh, Club at 7 p.m. for the kids. Uh, but looking forward to, to seeing everybody back again uh, in the future. All right, well, let's go ahead. We'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this time where we have to, to look into your word now. Uh, Father, although we are uh, scattered in different places today, uh, we pray that you would use this time to strengthen our walk with you, uh, help us to grow closer to you. And uh, Father, that, that our hearts would just be sensitive to your guidance and direction, your leading. Help us to take the truth of the Word of God and apply truth to life and seek to live out uh, these truths day by day. Uh, Father, as we, as we think this morning about uh, this church, um, the, this, uh, uh, this, this church, and as we think about the impact of Christ's death and what it has meant to each and every individual, uh, we just pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to remember what a wonderful Savior we have. And uh, Lord, we, we thank you so much for Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. We pray these things in his name. Amen. All right, as we, as we think about uh, just the cross, and we are, you know, we have been going through this study together in Mark 15, and if you want to go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible, uh, but Mark 15, I'm going to read the text in just a moment here, uh, but, 
but as we, we think about what we're, as, as Jesus is last day of life on earth, and he is prepared to, to, to really go to the cross. Uh, this is the time when he is, he is going to the cross, and um, we, we could put it simply, Jesus embraces the cross. That's, that's what's going on here. Uh, when we talk about the cross, we're really not talking about a piece of wood, right? When we, when we talk about the cross and we sing, sing the uh, songs about the cross and the wonderful cross and, and other songs, we're, we're not talking about a piece of wood, right? What we're really talking about is what the cross represents, that, that God would suffer and bleed and die for us, that he would go through all of that for our sins and that Jesus would, would hang on that cross in our place. You know, we're all sinful people. We're all sinful people. We've all sinned against the holy God. And the fact is, we all deserve to face an eternal punishment, you know, separation from God forever in a literal place called hell. But thankfully, we're not doomed to that, right? We, we can believe. We can repent. We can look to, to Jesus and understand his death, burial, and resurrection that it was payment for our sins, that by trusting in him, we can receive forgiveness, we can be imputed his righteousness. Another way, it, his righteousness is assigned to me. Right? That's what that term means. Uh, we can be declared justified. It, it would, uh, you've probably heard the, the term there, the description there. Just as if I had never sinned, right? That, that language. We, we would be declared not guilty. And, and so... As we, we think about the cross of Christ, uh, we are talking about everything it represents. And so we're thankful to God for what he's done for us. So Mark 15, we're going to be looking, uh, starting today in verse 22. I'm going to go ahead and read this passage for us. Mark 15, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 32. Verse 22 begins, And they bring him unto a pl the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. They gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. They that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. The Lord bless the reading of his word. This morning, you know, I, I think as we consider what what is coming for Jesus, is he he has he has been scourged, he's been beating at this point, beaten at this point, he is now lifted up on that cross of Calvary. I think we'd all agree that that we don't like pain. I, I think most of us would say that's true. I know that's true of me. Um, we we go to great lengths, I think, at times to minimize pain, right? And so whether that's the new office chair that doesn't hurt your back as bad, whether that's Advil or, you know, some other pain medication to fix that headache or back pain. Uh, you know, we, we, we do various things and we go to different lengths. You visit the chiropractor, you know, we do stuff to try to minimize pain. And um, 
I, I think we'd all say we, we also believe in the compassionate use of, of medicine. You know, people who are going through a difficult illness or something that's painful uh, may receive pain relief. Um, you know, if I, if, if, if I have a cavity and go to the dentist, um, I want Novocaine, right? I, I don't say, ah, just go ahead, take care of it, I can handle it. I, I, want, I want that shot for the pain relief. And, and you know, we, we all go through that. Um, I, I remember, to some degree, uh, at least the before and after events, one time when I was going in for a surgery uh, over at CHKD in, in Norfolk as a, as a teenager, I was 13, and uh, they were sticking a big stainless steel rod in my chest, and they, they stuck this curved rod in there, and I had a concave chest, and they, they turned it, literally turned it with vice grips, and popped my chest out. Uh, I don't remember the actual popping the chest out part, but I do remember as I went into surgery as a 13-year-old, uh, you're in this new place, it's freezing cold, all the doctors are lined up, they've got masks on. I looked up and, and I could actually see the windows, you know, like they had doctors observing the surgery from above. And, and I could see that there were windows up there and all the lights are bright. And, you know, as a kid, that's kind of scary. You know, that's kind of scary. So they, they get you right over. They make it happen pretty fast because they, they just try to knock you out quick. I guess so you don't have enough time to think about it a whole lot. And um, so they, they started going and, and they said, okay, we're going to start the medication now. Listen to the voice. And, you know, they got the mask on your face and everything. And so they start counting down. Ten, nine, eight, seven. And, and then I hear the doctor say, wow, he's already out. He's already under. Except I kept, they stopped. They didn't continue counting. They, they stopped counting. And then I heard them talking to one another. And, and I could still see what was going on. And I looked down, and I could see they had betadine, you know, this brown liquid stuff. And they're pouring it on me, you know, where they're about to cut. And I remember thinking right then, I do not want to be awake for this. You know, I mean, that, that's what was going through my mind. And, and, I, and I said, I, I just cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm not going to focus on this. I need to go to sleep now. <laughs> and I, and I, just, I, I just remember willing my head, I really, really want to go to sleep. I really, really want to go to sleep. And, and that, that, was, that was me as a 13-year-old. As and right there, somewhere that it, you know, the light went out, I went to sleep. And, and I don't remember anything else. Um, but, but that was my experience at 13. You, you know what? I did not want to be awake for that surgery. And, and I wasn't entirely sure, okay, if I am awake, am I going to feel this? I knew I did not want to feel it. And uh, this, this was the type of surgery. They, they give you enough medication and these amnesia drugs and stuff. So for like three days after, I don't remember anything in my life for those three days. I mean, that, those days are gone. And uh, they don't want you to remember it, right? Because you were hurting really, really bad. And, and so, you, you know what? I am really, really, really glad that medications exist like that. And I, I am so thankful for it. But here is Jesus, and, and he is on the cross, and he gets offered something in verse 23 to, to drink wine mingled with myrrh. He's offered something to numb the pain, and he refuses it. He, he refuses it. It says he received it not. When Jesus Christ goes to the cross in your place, he wants to experience all of the pain and all of the shame 
so that you'll never have to. And, and that's how wonderful our Savior is. Now, the, the title of this morning's message is simple. Jesus embraces the cross. And, and the first point is, is, has to do with the agony of it. Jesus embraces the agony of the cross. Verse 22 says, And they bring him unto a place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. Golgotha, that's an Aramaic word. Um, it, it literally has to, do, has to do with place of the skull. It, it just literally means place of the skull. You say, well, if he went to Golgotha, where do we get Calvary? Well, Calvary is the Latin term, right? Latin for skull. That's, that's, where, we, that's where Calvary comes from. And uh, there's some speculation. Maybe there's a rock there that looked like a skull. Maybe that's how it got its name. Don't really know for sure. Uh, we don't know exactly where it is. There's, um, you know, we do know a little bit about it. It's outside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, but it's not too far away because they could carry the cross there and walk there. So it, it can't be a great distance. There are two common locations that are suggested today. One is a, a name you probably have heard of, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You've probably heard that or seen it in the news before. Um, the second one, perhaps you haven't, uh, Gordon's Calvary is the name of that. Uh, but two, two commonly accepted places, but we don't know for sure. So as, as this comes about, Jesus is, is then given... Uh, an option. Verse 23, it says that they gave to him drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. So um, what, what is wine mixed with myrrh? Well, we might call it a primitive narcotic, right? The, the idea is, okay, drink enough of this so that you can handle the pain. And, and uh, may, maybe you, you've seen like in the old Western, somebody gets shot and they here, have some whiskey. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of the idea here, uh, practically speaking, of, of what's going on. They know that what he is going to endure is going to be absolutely excruciating. And so, okay, have a little bit. Maybe this will take the edge off. Now, uh, as, we, as we think about what happened, why in the world would Jesus reject this wine mixed with myrrh? Was there something biblically wrong with him taking it? Well, biblically, there was actually no, no reason at all for him to reject it. In fact, Scripture, in a sense, uh, prescribes the medicinal use of alcohol. Proverbs 31.6 says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Okay, now, uh, what's that saying? Okay, somebody is, a, is about to die. They're in a lot of pain. Uh, give them something so they don't suffer, right? And, and so that, the prescription here was, was um, strong drink. Now, you say, well, hey, it also says give it to them of heavy hearts. Well, remember, this is Hebrew. This is Hebrew poetry. It's what we call synonymous parallelism. Um, the idea here of the one who is ready to perish, that's the same person who's of the heavy heart here, right? That's the same description. And so they are synonyms. If, if you are giving hospice care, if you're giving merciful and compassionate care, um, this is like morphine to someone who is dying. And so the, the principle here is, is give strong drink to that individual so they don't have to endure the pain. Now, we come to alcohol. Alcohol has become a common beverage today, right? It is just generally culturally common in use. And um, as we think about it, what are some of the reasons that alcohol was used back in Jesus' day? Well, primary thing had to do with the fact that the water wasn't clean, right? If you have dirty water, and uh, you know, it's not like you can go pick up Coke on the shelf, right? If, if you have dirty water and you have to drink it, well, you need to purify that water so you don't get sick all the time and, and you have, have something to it. When we go to foreign countries, uh, Anya and I, um, there's certain cities that we, we go into and you, you can't drink the water. You, you just can't have it 
And um, the reason is simple. It's, it, is, it will make you sick. And so one of the things that they did in ancient times was they would mix alcohol in with their beverage. They called it table wine. And so there'd be a little bit of alcohol mixed in. There would be a large quantity of water. And the use of the alcohol was to purify the water. And then you could drink the water, get the water that you need to survive, and, and then not get sick. Uh, so that, that was the common use. Scripture warns against strong drink in, in various places. And the, the concern there is, okay, if you start taking this stuff, you get drunk on it all the time, right? You're not sober-minded. You can't think straight anymore. You start making poor decisions. You fall down the stairs. You get beat up. What, you know, whatever it is, uh, you're, you're not controlling yourself. You, you need to exercise care and caution so much so that, that Scripture says to avoid strong drink. Now, what, what's, the, what's the idea there? Here, here, here's the concept today. Is it wise to, to use alcohol as a common beverage today? Well, in the context of Coca-Cola, sweet tea, unsweet tea, and all the other options that we have today from sparkling water to Dasani and everything else, I would say it's not a wise decision, right? Not a wise choice. And so I, I would encourage you to, to consider that. And if you have any more questions about it, uh, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. But you, you know what? Scripture does dictate, though, when the, there are times when it's appropriate for medicinal use of alcohol. If I'm feeling bad, I can't sleep at night, NyQuil's a good thing, right? NyQuil's good. Uh, that, that, that makes my morning a lot better. Um, I'm not advocating, okay, I, I, you, you said it's not wise to drink alcohol, so I'll just drink NyQuil. That, that's not what I'm saying here, right? But, but if you're sick, there are medicinal uses of alcohol that are certainly appropriate. Jesus is on the cross. Let's go back and focus on the text. Jesus is on the cross. He's offered the wine. He gets just the taste of it on his tongue. He knows the intention of it is, okay, let's give him something strong enough that it's going to dull his senses. And he says no. Right? He had every right to drink it facing death. There was nothing biblically or scripturally wrong for, for him to take that. I'm, I would have said yes. <laughs> I don't want to go through the pain. I would have said yes. But he knows it's going to dull his senses, and he won't take it. He wants to experience every aspect of the intense suffering that's going to take place on that cross. You know, verse 24 begins with just the simple words, and when they had crucified him. You know, in the Greek, that's only three words. I mean, in English, directly translated, it would be, literally be, and they crucified him. Mark focuses almost no attention at all on the agony of what Jesus goes through. He's very matter-of-fact about it. Now today, you know, we, we know the movies. We've seen the movies. Uh, we've seen Jesus suffering on the cross. We, we, uh, we, we know that concept and, and the focus of, that is often put on the suffering. But the, the Bible doesn't focus on the medical aspects of the crucifixion. I saw a presentation once on the anatomy of a crucifixion. You know, the Bible doesn't focus on that. It focuses on the shame that Jesus experiences on the cross. And we looked about at that shame actually last week together. You know, crucifixion, as we, as we think about this form of capital punishment, a, a Roman citizen was not permitted to be crucified. It was that gruesome. It was that, that bad. It was that shameful. Um, when it happened, it was considered scandalous. 
Cicero, the Roman philosopher, said it was the most horrifying form of punishment known to mankind. That's, that's pretty strong language when you think about all the options that were available in that day. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. So crucifixion is a terrible form of death. Mark doesn't focus on the agony, and in fact, the Romans don't want to talk about it. The Jews, their view of it is, is that it's so terrible... It's a stumbling block for them to come to Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, a devout Jew today looks and considers crucifixion and says, Wow, that is absolutely terrible. That could never happen to my God. You can't hang a holy God on a tree. You can't crucify the true Messiah. You just can't treat God that way. And so what's happened? The, the cross itself has become a stumbling block. Why? Because it's so terrible. It is so terrible to think that God could ever go through that. So for Jews today, it's become a stumbling block. So we consider this description of the crucifixion further, the agony that Jesus went through. Verse 25 begins, and it, it notes the time. It says it was the third hour. Now, let's uh, put this in, in the time frame of that day. How did you describe the third hour in that day? Well, a new, a new day was kind of um, at 6 a.m., okay? So the third hour is at 9 a.m., so um, as we, we think about that in that day. So, so the clock kind of started at sunrise, 6 a.m., three hours later, third hour, that would be 9 a.m. So that's when Jesus is first put on the cross. The tradition is that it's Friday, so Friday morning, 9 a.m., Jesus put on the cross there's some debate about how you get up there, right? How, how do you actually get up on the cross? Well, sometimes they would actually take an entire cross, a whole cross, and have it laid down on the ground, and they would take the individual being crucified, and they would nail them to the cross, and then lift it up and kind of drop the post down in the hole. Um, and, and so that sometimes happened. Other times it happened where... Uh, there was the crossbar, and that would be what the individual would carry, and there were vertical poles already in place. And so they would nail the individual to the, the horizontal bar, and then somehow they would hoist them up onto the cross and hold it up there while they then nailed in their, their feet. Now, we, we often see these depictions of the cross today, and, and you know it's like it's up 30 feet in the air or something, or 20 feet high. Uh, this probably is, is more like just a couple feet off the ground. You know, so Jesus' feet would have, would have been roughly at you know, maybe waist height or even, even lower. And um, you know, this, is not, this is not like 20 or 30 feet up in the air. Um, they, they probably didn't arrange the three crosses with the middle one a little bit higher just for the, uh, you know, the, the, scenic, the, the scenic view that we, we often have it you know, kind of gloriously depicted today. Uh, they, they may not have even be, been evenly spaced. We don't know, you, you know, that, uh, uh, but, but we, we, probably different than how we're, we're actually uh, expecting it today. Um, we normally see in religious depictions Jesus depicted with a loincloth. He probably was actually just exposed. He was probably just naked. He had been stripped of his clothes. And, and in the midst of that, here is Jesus in his shame on display, dying on that cross in front of everybody. This is the sinless Son of God, crucified by sinful man. 
And, and how does Mark describe it? When they had crucified him, right? I mean, they, then they crucified him. He, he doesn't go into the, the brutal and, uh, details there. Verse 24 goes on and says, Then they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. Notice the third hour, and then they crucified him. G, G, John here records that an, outer, uh, that an outer garment of Jesus's was actually cut up into four parts. So he had a rough outer garment. Uh, it wasn't much value, probably had been beaten up greatly at this time. They took the cloth, they, they di- cut it up into four pieces, divided among the soldiers. Remember, when we talked about the soldiers before, when he was being scourged in the courtyard, pro- probably 200, maybe 600 soldiers there, right? They're enjoying the sport, the spectacle. Now that Jesus is, is, has moved to Calvary, that he's moved to Golgotha, the execution crew is probably four or five. You know, that, it's not all the soldiers that were there previously. Uh, they're not so concerned about this part. The sport was done. And, and so they cut the garment into four parts. Likely each one of them got a piece. And, and then he had a, what, what they call a seamless tunic, a, a nicer uh, garment, too nice to cut apart. And so what did they do? They, they rolled dice to see who gets that part. Who's going to win the, the tunic? And, and so just picture the scene for a moment. Here's the sinless Son of God hanging on the cross for the sins of the world. And these soldiers are sitting there. It's just another day. It's just what we do. Right, we're, we're just going through the, the same normal routine, the same normal motions. We, we put criminals up to death and, and we go through the same thing. We're just playing dice. And uh, we're going to see who gets, gets to uh, enjoy this benefit, this fringe benefit of our job. And as they do it, they, they don't realize what's going on. But in the midst of it, they're fulfilling scripture. They're doing exactly what God said would happen. Psalm 22, beginning of verse 16, says, For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. It just means clothing. So Jesus is on the cross. He's in agony. Nails in his hands and feet. They're dividing his garment. They're offering him wine. He says, no, I, I don't want it. I want to experience this. See, Jesus not only embraces the agony of the cross, but Jesus also embraces the irony of the cross. Verse 26 says, And the superscription of his accusation was written over, The King of the Jews. So when someone was crucified, they would often take a, a sign or a placard and, and they would write on it the account of what they had done. And, and it would be nailed to the cross for all the people to see. Now, the Romans had some different crosses. There were, there were some different options here. And uh, we'll just use letters to describe it. There was actually a cross that was shaped like an X. And, uh, you know, it, it came across this way. It touched the ground at two points and people would be hung on that cross. Uh, there was another form of, of a cross that was more like a capital T. Okay, so the two bars meet, but there's nothing over above it. Uh, there's no vertical bar above the horizontal bar. And then there's the cross that perhaps we're more familiar with, um, maybe the traditional cross, we'd say the lower case T cross. Um, it's the same one that's behind me in the baptistry, that, that style, a lower ca- uh, lowercase t. The vertical bar goes above the horizontal bar. The horizontal bar isn't all the way up at the top. And this is the traditional representation that we see. Now, because we 
have here the case that there's a sign affixed over his head. Mark says over, uh, Matthew 27, 37 says over his head. Uh, it seems likely that this is probably uh, the most likely representation of, of, of the cross that Jesus was on. And so the sign is up there declaring his guilt. Why did it say king of the Jews? Well, let's consider that for just a moment. Pilate was the one who put it there, um, and he didn't believe it. He, he didn't really believe that Jesus should be crucified. And he, he knew that the trial had been just kind of a sham. He didn't want to crucify him. The Jews forced his hand. Um, Pilate at this time is already in trouble with Rome. He, he's made Rome mad because he, he's upset the Jews multiple times. There have been riots in the past. And uh, he's already gotten in trouble two times, and he's worried the third strike, and he'll be out. He'll lose his lucrative p position. And uh, when the Jews approached him, and, and Pilate says, hey, there's no reason to crucify this guy. Just let him go free. Well, now the, the Jews got angry. And they said, you are no friend of Caesar if you don't crucify him. What are, what are they saying there? Pilate, we don't care about the truth. Here's the deal. If you don't crucify him, we are going to go to Caesar and say, this guy is an insurrectionist, that he is seeking to overthrow the government, and that you let him go free. And we are going to make a big deal about it. We will riot. We will take this all the way to Rome. And guess what? They already don't like you. So you'll be out of here. You don't want to go against us on this. And so Pilate doesn't want to crucify Jesus, but he also doesn't want to lose his job. So what does he do? He literally washes his hands and says, all right, his blood is on your head, and he hands Jesus over to be crucified. He's mad at the Jews, but what can he do now, right? So he wants to stab him a little bit. He wants to get back at him a little bit. And so he says, take a sign and write an inscription and put on it, King of the Jews. Now, he actually had that written in three different languages, and its intention is to mock the Jews. I mean, it, certainly it's, it's, it's mocking Jesus, but hey, this guy who's all beat up, this guy whose skin is falling off of him, this guy who is on this cross, you say that he claims to be your king, all right, this is who you're worried about? Here he is, the king of the Jews. Everybody look at him. Obviously, that didn't make the Jews very happy. Right? But they weren't going to go to Rome with it. The chief priests didn't like it. They tried to get it changed. John records it for us. John 19, 21 says, Then said the chief priests and of the, Jews, of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but say that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Right? Pilate gets in his last little jab back at the Jews. The question is, Was the statement, king of the Jews, True. And the answer is yes. It, it's a true statement. Jesus was the king of the Jews. They, this sign, the intention is to mock him. Right? The intention is to say, all right, here's the king of the Jews. Look how weak he is. Right? That, that's the intention. And the Jews don't like it because, oh, don't say that he's our king. But is he their king? Without a doubt. This is Jesus. This is King Jesus. And it's incredibly ironic that, that the one they're trying to, uh, to silence and, and so that Jesus can't continue teaching and speaking, the one they're trying to silence doesn't even need to speak. Why? Because there's a sign above his head declaring who he is for everybody to see. The Jewish people were looking for their coming Messiah. They were looking for their coming King. 
And here he is. And look what they've done to him. You know, not only was Jesus proclaimed the, the king of the Jews, which he was, but he was also crucified as a common criminal, which he wasn't. Verse 27 says, And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, the other on his left. And so he's crucified as though he were a common criminal. This is recorded and prophesied in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Here is the Lord Jesus, the sinless Savior, being treated as though he is a transgressor, being led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53, 12 puts it this way, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You know, our next verse, um, we're going to have a little bit of explanation about verse 28. If you look down in your Bible this morning, if you have a King James Version, you will see that right there in your Bible. If you have a New American Standard Bible, you will have it right before you. It will be in brackets, though. If you have an ESV, you'll miss the verse altogether. It just won't be there. You'll have that verse number skipped. Uh, it says this, verse 28, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, if you paid attention to that quote in Isaiah 53, 12, you will notice I read directly from that verse. It says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So, so let's be clear about this. Um, when we're talking about was Jesus numbered with the transgressors? Yes, it is true. It is a true statement. The question that comes up is, is verse 28 something that was truly in Mark's gospel? And so that's the question that translators wrestle with. Um, so in, in, in verse 28, we have a verse that is written in Scripture. We have a verse that is absolutely true. The only question is not whether or not this is God's Word, or it's not whether or not this is God's Word, because we know that it is. It's not whether or not this is true. The only question is whether or not Mark actually wrote it here under the inspiration of God, or if somebody else read verse 27 and said, wow, this lo look, this fulfills the absolutely true verse found in Isaiah 53, 12. And perhaps a scribe wrote that in the, the side of the, the manuscript and said, look, this fulfills Isaiah 53, 12. And, and so we have, and the scripture was fulfilled with Shaith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And so the question comes up, okay, was that originally in, in, in Mark's account of the text, or, or, or was that put in a little later by a, 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 um, a scribe along the way? And, and the, the, the answer to that is, well, Linguistic scholars debate that question. Right? They, there's, they debate that. Uh, did Mark actually write this specific verse? Well, I actually don't know. Uh, but I do know that the verse that's there is from Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 12, and I know that God wrote it, and I know that it's absolutely true. And although different translations, different versions of the Bible will do this differently, um, I do believe that they try to do this honestly as they wrestle with it. And maybe you're saying, well, I've been through the book of Mark with you all this time. And why didn't I see any missing verse numbers before? Why didn't I see any brackets before? Well, the answer is simple. There weren't any, right? There, there weren't any. This is a rare occurrence. And we should know confidently that we have God's word. This should not upset us. 
And, and either way, whether Mark included this here or not, you know what? This verse is very true. And so we need to be confident that we have the, uh, the very word of God. Now, that's an addition. Let's look at what the text actually says. And, you know, it, it is ironic that Jesus is proclaimed the king of the Jews as he's being crucified. That's the charge against him, and he's being mocked with it. And he actually is the king of the Jews. That's ironic. But you know what? It's also ironic that he is being crucified as a common criminal, and he's not. Right? He's, he's not that. How would you feel if this were happening to you? I mean, I, I know I would be upset, right? <laughs> I'd be hollering, I'd be screaming, hey, you got the wrong guy, you know? <laughs> I mean, that thing you said, I say, and, and they even lay the charges, they're mocking him. You know, you said you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. They, they lay the charge on him later in the passage. I didn't say that. You're twisting my words. That's not what I was talking. I would be screaming out and yelling for justice. That's not what Jesus did. He was silent as a lamb being led to the slaughter, filling that passage in Isaiah. And so, what's he doing in the midst of this terrible moment? He is fully experiencing it. No, no pain medicine for me. I'm just going to take it on. And so, whether it is, uh, whether we are talking about him embracing the agony of the cross or embracing the irony of the cross, the third point this morning is very simple. He willingly embraced the shame of the cross. Verse 29 says, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyeth the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. All right, so who are these people? All right, it says, they that passed by. Remember, uh, crucifixion was not intended to, to be a, a private affair. When, when somebody faces capital punishment in the United States today, there is a, 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 place, a place where they have lethal injection. And it is a room I have not personally been in there. I have been with folks who have described it for me. Um, I, I, know, I do know that, um, at, I don't know if this is true of all judges, but I, I know of a, a judge who is a friend of mine and who served in Virginia previously. And uh, she said that before she would ever go over, uh, serve on a trial, serve on the bench of a trial where capital punishment was even an option, you know, in, in terms of, of what the punishment could be. Um, she wanted to actually witness what was being sentenced. And so she, she went to the room. She, she saw the procedure. She described it for me. And she said, it's very much like a hospital room. Things are set up like an IV. And um, it's, a, it's a very, very clinical type procedure. And she said, I, I witnessed someone's execution uh, to, to know the seriousness of what, what type of punishment could be rendered from my bench. Uh, you know what? I've never witnessed a capital execution like that in the United States. I've, I've never seen someone go through lethal injection. I've never seen that personally. You know why? Because we, we don't make a public spectacle out of it. Now, the Old West, they, they used to do like hangings, right? I mean, that was kind of the idea. And crucifixion was more along that line. All right, let's put them in the town square, let everybody see it, and this will be a reminder, you know, don't be a horse thief. Or, you know, that, that, that was kind of the idea. Uh, you know, don't mess with Rome because we're going to show you what happens to those who mess with Rome. And so that, that's what's going on in this case. The people who pass by, they're just your average people walking in and out of Jerusalem. Remember, this is the time of the Passover. Lots of people around, busy time. And so they're walking by. It's a crowded place. It's a public place. You better not mess with Rome, because this was what will happen to you. 
here's the charges. Here's what these guys did. If you do this, here's the result. And as they, they go by, they are, what Scripture says, they railed on him. Literally, that means to, to hurl abuse at him. And, and the, the term actually means blasphemy. Right? They are slandering God. Here is Jesus on the cross, and they are, they are literally slandering God. So they're wagging their heads. Well, it's like shaking your head back and forth in scorn. Right? Uh, you know, this, this is like uh, when, when uh, the neighbor comes by and, and talks to the other moms. You'll, you'll never guess what your son did. You know, that's that's kind of the, the idea. You know, shaking your head with the scorn. And so they're, they're abusing Jesus with the speech, their speech. They're, they're scorning him. And in the midst of it, all this is going on, and, and somebody comes up and they say, well, well give him a break, let, let, him have, let him have some wine, let him have a shot of whiskey, and what happened? he won't take it. He said, I'm just going to endure it. I, I want to know about the shame. I, I want to know about the taunting. He, Jesus embraces it. This is for me. I, I am accepting this punishment for these very people who are crucifying me. I, I'm accepting this punishment for sinners. So it's not just the people who are mocking them. Verse 31 goes on, says, Likewise also the chief priests mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. What are they talking about there? He saved others. Well, let's just consider that for a minute. They, they have witnessed him literally heal people from various illnesses. They have literally seen him take people who were blind from birth and allow them to see. They, they have literally seen little children who are about to die, and they live. They have literally seen him go into a room where a girl had died previously and walk out holding her hand and say, get her some food. They know he has healed people. They know he has performed miracles. And yet, in spite of that, so he saved others himself he cannot save. See, see, they're not doubting the miracles. They knew the miracles were true. That, that's what's so incredible. And, and so they, they go on in verse 32 and say, Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They've seen all the miracles. They believed all the miracles. What's one more going to do for them? Not a thing. You know what would happen if Jesus came down from that cross? If they were able, they'd pick him right back up and stick him right back on there. That's what they would have done. Their heart was not ready to believe. This was just mocking. It's vain talk. They hated him. They absolutely hated him. And you know what? It hasn't changed that much today. The Jewish people still hate Jesus today. Book of Revelation refers to the Jewish leaders as those who are worshiping in the synagogue of Satan. Many of them do not worship Yahweh, the true God. Just be abundantly clear on this. They may say they do, but they don't. And certainly we're we're quick to say today, you know, I support Israel, I stand with Israel. I get that. Israel, Jewish people, God's chosen people. right? And there have been horrible things that have happened in the history of Israel. Specifically the Holocaust. 
that terrible, horrendous things, unspeakable things. Make no mistake about this. God chose Israel. And God has a future plan for Israel. But you know what? Every decision that Israel makes today is not a moral decision. It's not somehow default the right answer just because Israel said it. They made a pretty bad decision here, crucifying the Messiah. There have been terrible decisions since then as well. And it was Israel, it was the Jewish people who put Jesus on the cross. People who still hate and reject the Messiah today. So I'm saying, does that mean we hate Israel? No. Right? We love them, but Israel is not my source for moral judgments. Right? Israel is not the standard of righteous judgment. The Word of God is. And so while we look to Israel and recognize the, Jew, the Jewish people as God's chosen people, and we look forward to a coming day where they will once again, once again be recognized, and God will fulfill His future plan for Israel. And while we look to, to Jewish people today as sinners to whom the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is available, and hope that they believe, just like Gentiles. It doesn't mean by default that somehow Israel's decisions are more righteous. The common people have mocked Jesus. The Jewish leaders have mocked him. And now even the criminals will mock him. The end of verse 32 says that, And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Remember, there are two people here who are crucified with Jesus. One's on the left, one's on the right. And they're insulting him. They're guilty. Everybody knows they're guilty. All right, there's no doubt about their guilt. And Jesus is taking insults now from the people who are literally being crucified for wrongs that they have committed, and they are insulting him as well. They've joined in. The people mock him, the religious leaders mock him, and if that's not enough, the guilty criminals mock him. Jesus, don't you want a drink? Don't you want a little relief from all that you're going through? Physical pain, the shame, the suffering on display for everybody. Don't you, don't you want something just to dull the pain? Jesus says, no, bring on the shame. Bring on the shame. I'm going to endure this. I am dying for these people. I am enduring this, this for their sakes. I will, endi- I will die and endure this shame so that they may never have to. If they'll only believe. We, we know that Jesus was on the cross for a total of six hours. Right, from the other Gospels, we know that during the first three hours, both criminals mocked Jesus. But after three hours, something happened. One of them stops mocking. And he looks on and he listens and he has a change of heart. And then he finally speaks up. Luke 23 verse 40 says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he was. Is it possible to find faith at the last second? Well, this guy did. This guy did. What changed his mind was what he saw. Right here, here, was, here was Jesus who refused to be numbed to the suffering, pain, and shame that he was enduring. Here, here is Jesus 
who willingly embraced the agony of the cross. Here was Jesus who willingly embraced the irony of the cross. Here was Jesus who willingly embraced the shame of the cross. And that's what this criminal saw. And his mind was changed. And he believed. You see, it's, it's amazing to think about that Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, Savior of the world, came down and died on that cross of Calvary, enduring the pain, enduring the lies, enduring the shame. And for all those people who were inflicting all of that upon him, he still died. And when one of those people looks over to him in the midst of it, I mean, it's easy to say, okay, boy, once he's glorified, forgiving would be easy, right? I mean, you know, once he's feeling better, once the pain is over, once he's back with the Father, certainly then he can forgive. No, this is in the midst of it. The one who has been hurling insults at him for three hours looks over to him and says, I was wrong. You are the Lord. You are God. You have done nothing wrong, and, and I have. I am a sinner. Aren't you afraid of the judgment? He looks over to the other thief, the, the other criminal. Aren't you afraid of the judgment to come? You really are a sinner. You're like me. But he's done nothing wrong. He's God. And look what we're doing to him. Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You truly are the king. in the midst of the agony, in the midst of the irony and all the lies, and in the midst of all the shame that's been thrown upon him, Jesus responds as only Jesus could. Yeah, you're forgiven. Today you will be with me in paradise. See, that's our Savior. Jesus embraced the cross. Because he loved the pain, not because he liked the irony, not because he wanted the shame. He did it out of love for us. That by believing in him, we can know for sure we have eternal life. I'd simply ask you today, if you've never put your trust in Christ, Jesus, to save you. Regardless of what you've done. If Jesus can forgive that criminal in the midst of all he was going through, he can forgive you. And he promises to you'll only believe. Today be the day when you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, where you say, I'm a sinner, and my sins will lead me to judgment. But I don't want that. I accept Jesus who paid the penalty for my sins. I trust his death was payment. And that God will impute to me, that he will ascribe to me the righteousness of Christ. That I can know for sure that I will spend all eternity with him in paradise. You know, if you've done that, and maybe in this moment you've done that, I invite you just to tell God about it. Just bow your head right now. Just pray to him. Tell God that right now I've put my faith in Jesus to save me. I want to spend eternity with you. It's not prayer that saves you. It's just simply believing in what he's done. 
It's Jesus who saves. The rest of us, I hope you catch, caught a glimpse today of how great our God is, how wonderful our Savior, <coughs> how wonderful our Savior is. And I hope that in this moment, you would just see the need that we have to love Him more and to serve Him better. He, he is an incredible Savior. And may God help us to return even a portion of the love that He's displayed for us through Jesus' Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for the power that is in it. We thank You that we can trust it, that we can confidently believe it's from You. Father, we thank You for our Savior. Thank You for one who is, endure, who is willing to endure the, the agony of the cross, who is willing to endure the, the, the irony of all those lies, who is willing to endure the shame that was hurled upon Him. He did it all so that we wouldn't have to face that. Father, I pray for those right now who may have never put their faith in Jesus to save them. I pray that today will be the day when they choose to do that. Father, for all those who believed, I, I pray that this message about who our Savior is would just call, cause our hearts to overflow. We'd want to get up out of our seats and just go serve you, and praise you, and worship you. Father, we, we pray that you would help us to live lives that honor you and please you. Father, lives that point others to our Savior. You are worthy of all praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.